Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. As I said at the beginning of the year, one of the things we're trying to do is uh, continue to improve our, our connection. As you know, that's one of our, our missions and our desires is to encourage connection here at Valley. And so that's what's taking place back there, connection time. So we've got elders, we've got deacons, and uh, while these folks are breaking up and having their seat, I'll just tell you, our, our elders are all about government. They oversee the church and uh, with me, they serve, I'm, I serve as the head elder and as a senior pastor here, and we t- meet together monthly to pray for the church, to oversee the basic governmental oversight of the church. And our deacons, their purpose is to help minister to the practical needs of the body, as there you find in the book of Acts, chapter 7, as deacons were identified in the local church and took care of the needs of the body. So... That's what that's all about, those back tables. All right, so uh, I'm going to prepare for the message here. One last announcement I want to give to you is uh, next week, everybody just, just close your eyes and say a prayer. Jim LaFoon is supposed to be here. <laughs> supposed to. So, I mean, I'm not going to go on record saying he is definitely going to be here. Just not going to do it anymore. Uh, this will be strike three. Uh, the guys I know down in Fayetteville will have to take Jim out, but, you know, if he doesn't come. But uh, anyway, Lord willing, Jim LaFoon will be here next week and to bring a, a mighty word here to Valley Community Church. Jim is an international, uh, as Michael Fletcher, an international prophet and, and overseer of, of a church network. And uh, he's actually headquartered in Durham now, and, uh, but he's traveled all over the world. And I met Jim when I was a young man. I just was coming to ministry, and uh, he was a major part, as Michael Fletcher and Jerry, Jerry Daly were, a major part of my life in helping me find the direction. And so uh, I've called upon Jim and asked him to come after probably, it's got to be at least 15, maybe 17 years since I've seen Jim. I've talked to him on the phone and whatnot, but this will be our, our first time um, the first time in a long time to be in this church um, to minister to us and bring a word. I'm really expecting God to really download something very significant here to Valley Community Church and what is our next part of the journey. All right. Well, I've got notes for you if you have them. Um, you can follow along with me this morning. And, uh, but I like to generally like to focus on sections of Scripture that, that are easy for us to kind of bite-sized, but today I want to talk about Jacob, and I want to talk about fast-forwarding our relationship with God. We have begun this year talking about kind of preparing, you know, talking about the disciplines, talking about the different things that will help us in our relationship with God to help position us to do all that God has called us to do, and um, so we've got some high expectations about what we're asking God to do here for us at Valley and then it to move in our lives individually. And so how can we position ourselves to, to stay on that fast track? 
And, uh, you know, sometimes we don't want to fast forward. We'd rather just take it. But, you know, I think as a whole, and, and as I was praying about this, I really believe that that's, that that's the word that God has for us, that there's an urgency. There's a sense of that I think for the most part as Christians, we do tend to like things to go very slow or at a pace that we can digest, you know, a pace that we can you know, it's like, okay, this is good. I, I, I like the way this pace is going. Um, matter of fact, I was running with a guy one time, and this guy was a marathoner. You like this, Angie? Uh, he was a marathoner, and he said, you want to go for a run? I'm like, yeah. You know, so we went for a run. And he said, tell you what, let me help you. He said, we're going to do this, uh, I forgot how many minute mile he wanted to do. And he just put his hand in the small of my back and, and, and just helped me run at his pace. Well, about two miles into that, I about died. And I was like, look, dude, you need to take your hand off my back now, or I'm going to put my hand on your head. Um, but anyway, what I learned was I didn't really like that pace. I didn't really like that pace. It was awesome, it was awesome at first. Uh, but then I realized, you know, matter of fact, as I'm thinking about, you know, a person was wondering how fast a, a, an Olympic swimmer goes, and they've got this machine that they put you in a, uh, a harness, and it pulls you through the pool at, at the rate that an Olympic swimmer might go. And most people almost drowned because he's going that fast through the water. So it's like, okay, I can't handle this. You know, sometimes the pace is too much. But I think more often than not, our pace is a little, we're, we're behind. We're, we're a few steps off of where God wants us to be. And so, you know, so th- this, this message is really kind of a download into that, okay? It's not necessarily going to fit everybody's pace right now, but, but, but the way I kind of figure it is if God's got a message for us, then, then we need to listen up, okay? We need to really kind of connect to that, okay? So I think God is trying to tell us as a church as a whole, it's time to fast forward. I'm not 100% sure why. I'll leave that up to him. But I'm just going to be faithful to what God has for us today, Amen. So we need to fast forward. But let me, let me tell you what we're going to talk about here. We're going to talk about Jacob. And I love, you know, the Old Testament. I love especially the book of Genesis when we, when we talk about the patriarchs. And because there's so much there that is compacted um, and just unloads into our life, if we align our soul with it, if we, if we even just take a moment to see ourselves like a Jacob, if, if we... Uh, dig into it. And we don't just read the story as a narrative, but we almost see it as that prophetic layer that God wants us to get. In other words, that there is something for me in this story, that there is an identification that for my journey needs to come out and it needs to get on me and it needs to encourage me. It might, you know, to exhort me and and for all of us. And so so what I'm going to do here is, is something that most pastors and teachers find almost impossible in the time that I have, but I want to give it a shot. But I just want to kind of do an overview of Jacob's life, and then I would just want to look at some things that I believe that God is speaking to us today through this story. But you remember, Jacob, of course, is the son of Isaac and Rebekah, and Rebekah was barren, and she couldn't have children, which is, to me, is just an amazing part of God's picture here is it sometimes almost i mean in, in many cases what you find is out of barrenness comes the purpose of god that's a great message in and of itself isn't it if you think of your own life but see so out of this but jacob doesn't come alone does he <laughs> he comes with an esau and so they come as twins 
And Jacob is born second. He's the younger only by, what, a nanosecond or a couple of seconds or a minute or two. And Isaac gets this, this prophecy. And he said that the, the older will serve the younger, which is a very powerful situation here because it, it, it doesn't seem fair, does it? But God is not into fairness. God is into purpose. God is into his will, not ours. And so Jacob comes up grasping his brother's heel. And so they name him Jacob, which mean, means he who grasps. Another translation is deceiver. You know, in other words, here he is. Little guy's not having to work much. I mean, he just holds on to Esau's foot and just comes along with it, right? Esau's doing all the work, getting out. Jacob just holds on for the ride, which really speaks a lot of his life as you will see. So he comes into the world, and that is his name, and there's so much that is, <laughs> that is so what you find in the Bible about names. As a matter of fact, that is not just an Old Testament thing or just a Bible thing. It's, it's reality. When you name your children, it, it carries a prophetic destiny that goes with them, which is very powerful. But what, what we find in the story is that Isaac, when he, matter of fact, he got the prophecy ahead of time there in Genesis chapter 25, that the older would serve the younger. And indeed, what they see happen is Jacob is born second, so he's the younger, and, and he's named deceiver, and, and he'll grasp and all that. But as they grow up, Isaac likes Esau more. Because in a physical picture, he likes Isaac more because he's, he's bigger, he's stronger, he's a hairy guy, and he's a hunter, and he's just got all that manliness about him. And Isaac is just like, you know, he's attracted to that as, as physicality goes. And apparently Jacob is a little more slight. He, he said he'd like to hang around in the tents. Now, my interpretation of that is he's a little bit of a wimp, a mama's boy. Likes hanging around in the tents instead of going outside and playing and hanging out and shooting stuff and doing all the, the survivor man camp, camp outs, you know, kind of a deal. And, but God chose him. And not that I'm going to knock Jacob, because that's God's choice. And in Jacob's life, God is going to do something very powerful, something very miraculous. And, but what we find, even in the very beginning, is that Isaac, the father, is fighting against the will of God. But God's will definitely will prevail. Because in time, what we see is things un you know, coming together, not only in the fact that, that Jacob has a destiny, but Esau does not. And, and what we find is that character begins to come to the front. It's not just about prophecy, but there's about that, that God's prophecy is often coming through that which is in the person, that which is who they are, that God in his foreknowledge could see. And so when that time came, Esau's hunting, right? He comes back, he's famished. And what he, you know, he's hungry and Jacob's in there making up a great stew because he's hanging around the tent, he likes to cook. Anyway, I don't want to pick on Jacob too much. I like to cook. But anyway, there he is and Esau comes back. He's famished. He's been out there. He hadn't had anything to eat. And he's like, oh man, give me some of that stew. It must have smelled wonderful. And anyway, he says, well, give me, you know, your birthright. And and so Jacob, right from the beginning, he's, his name is coming forward, isn't it? He's a deceiver. 
And that's exactly what he does. He just snatches that birthright out from under him. And Esau despised it. Esau obviously didn't see any value in it. He was just like, man, it's just words. And so he's just like, that's not going to play out. What an idiot. I'll say yes. I get the stew, and I just go on my way, and Jacob's still going to be left holding the bag. I'm the oldest son. I know my rights. I get twice as much as he does. That is the Jewish law. That's the Jewish way. Esau knew that's the way it was going to be. Not knowing is that God is watching what we say. And, and of course, God's purposes will prevail. It is just amazing how this whole story un, un, you know, unfolds in front of us. So what happens is obviously, you know, the story that there's, there's a conflict in time. Um, Jacob takes another smack at this. He spoke it, but now it's really going to be played out because Isaac is getting ready to die, or so we thought, or so he thinks. He's going blind. He's old as the hills. And Jacob, of course, is thinking in terms of, I I got this birthright. He told me I was going to get it, but I got to convince dad. So he sets up this situation we've all read about where he gets the blessing deceives his father into thinking that he is Esau. And he speaks. One of the most curious and, and, and amazing stories in the Bible that's taking place here. So Jacob gets the blessing. And of course, if Jacob had any desire to have any closeness with his brother forever, he certainly didn't think much of it then. Because Esau is, you know, is torn to pieces. His heart is broken because the blessing's given away. He begs his father, Isaac, why? You know, do you have a blessing for me? It doesn't even turn out to be a blessing. It's actually a curse. And poor, uh, poor Esau. But Jacob's now walking around the camp and, realize, and he sees the anger and the rage rising up in his brother and he realizes, uh-oh. So mama steps in, being a mama's boy, mama. Rebecca stands in and says, look, we gotta get you out of here. So let's figure this out. So she convinces Isaac to send Jacob away to go find a wife where he goes and meets this beauty in the family through an uncle uh, named Rachel. And Jacob, on his way to go find his destiny, and the whole time, you know, he's just whistling, zippity-doo-dah. The whole time, you get the sense of Jacob's life is that he's like, you know, man, I've really, I've taken matters into my own hands. I was the second, but now, look at me. I've got privilege. I'm going to go find me a, a, you know, um, a Hebrew or a, a Judaic, you know, in the family wife, because Esau had married uh, a pagan. And so there he is. He's traveling, and he falls asleep in Bethel, which go, it's loose, but it goes on to become Bethel, the house of God. He falls asleep there, and he has a dream. What we know about Jacob's ladder, you've read the story and what is that all about? Well, what that is, is Jacob, he gets a glimpse. He gets a glimpse of his destiny. He gets a glimpse of something that is very spiritual and very powerful. But he has no clue what it is. He has no idea what his, his connection to all that is. Jacob, at this point, and I'll come back to this, really represents a person who has a heart for God, a person who has a destiny in God, but is just literally wandering around in circles trying to figure out what it is. And so 
God will bring those visitations. God will bring those moments, what we like to call kairos moments into our lives, to try to get, us, to, to, to get a glimpse of just what he has in store for us. But more often than not, we don't catch it. We don't see it. We rejoice. Matter of fact, if you read the story about Jacob, he's like, man, what's that all about? The heavens open up. The angels are coming back and forth. Obviously, it's a picture of reality. It's that the heavens and the earth, you know, are connected. And God is in charge of the earth. And God has a purpose and a plan. And God is busy working out his plan so that one day, God would redeem the earth again if Jacob had any idea of what his fathers were all about and what the promise was that was passed on. Jacob had no clue. Now, whether that was Isaac's fault for not telling him, which I can't believe is true, I think Jacob did know. I just think he sat in class going, hey, man, I got got a stew on right now, man, and can we get on with this story? Of Abraham, granddaddy, I mean, can we move on from this? And how many times do we do that when we're listening to the word of God? When we're, when we're there in our prayer and we're just rushing through things and we don't put it all together and see Jacob kind of rec- represents that for us. is as, as a man who, is, who has a wonderful destiny and yes, he's imperfect, but man, there's a prophetic destiny on his life. But Jacob has no clue. And so he goes on. And he ends up meeting Rachel, meets his uncle Laban. And I call this the Laban zone. Because he comes into what is going to be his next part of the destiny. But I tell you what, God is saying, look, Jacob, you're missing this. And before you can go on with your destiny, we've got to deal with that character issue in you. You are a deceiver. Two things I see in Jacob's life is one is that he is a little disconnected from his purpose. Matter of fact, I don't even know he is really in touch with it at all. And then secondly, of course, that deceptive part of who he is. In other words, he's trying to take the fast track, but it didn't work out for him at all. (laughs) Not at all. And you'll see as you read the story. And I'd love for you to go back. If you've never read these stories, go back. You'll see in the notes, you can, this is where you can find it there in Genesis 25 and then 27 through 35. You can find the whole story there. But he gets in, he meets his uncle, and it's very emotional, and he begins to uh, uh, connect. He falls in love with Rachel from the very get-go. When she walks up, he's like, whoa, there she is. And then he, he lets it be known to Laban, hey, I'd really love to marry Rachel. And he's like, well, you're going to have to work for me, bud. Seven years. And so at that time, of course, Laban pulls a switch job on him, right? Gives him Leah instead, which must have infuriated Jacob. But at that moment, I wonder how it, it, where it hit him on the inside when he realized, uh-oh, you know, I'm getting payback for what I've done. He gets... Leah as a wife, and then God says, or, and, and, but Laban finally says, well, look, I'll give you Rachel, but you're going to have to work another seven years. So here's this, this, this young man who has given the better part of his life to someone else. And, he, and in this place, I like to call it the crucible, where God is just crushing him, breaking him down, is dealing with those areas. And I think what we're supposed to see is that this was not really God's best. There was another plan. There could have been another plan. 
<clears throat> but the deceiver was deceived, and he reaped what he sowed in the Laban zone. Eventually, he won the battle with Laban, and he left. He was able to get away, but even that was under deceptive pretense, wasn't it? And just slipping out in the dark of night, because he knew that was the only way he was going to get out of this. So he, he, he wanted to get back, and he had asked God. He said, look, God, if you'll, if you'll just let me get home safe, I'll serve you, which is an interesting part of this story I, I forgot to mention. Jacob makes a deal with God, and it's not a good deal. He sees the ladder. He sees the wonderful things of God, and he looks at that. And as he sees the, later, the, later, the, I'm sorry, the ladder coming and going, he gets up on that next one. He goes, that was amazing. And he moves the rock that he had placed his head on, and he placed it as a testimonial and basically said, this is where God dwells. I mean, there's a portal here. This is where God meets. And he got so excited about the place and missed the person. Got so excited about that, that, that this was this location. He had a spiritual moment, and it got him all excited, but he didn't get the point, did he? So he leaves that rock there. But what he goes on to say is what is, is so amazing to me in this story. He says, God, if you will let me have success, if you will let me get to where I'm going, essentially find a wife and get back home again safe, then I will serve you. Read it yourselves. It's an amazing deal that Jacob is doing. But you look at it and just say, uh-oh. And God, no response. God doesn't speak to him. Because in the end, what's going on here is that's not, a, that's not a godly prayer. It's not a biblical prayer. And maybe you have prayed that prayer before. God, if you'll heal, heal me, I will go on to serve you with my whole life. God, if you'll let me win the lottery, man, I'll just be the givenest person on the planet. Lord, if you let me go on, if you'll just do this, if, 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 if. See, God is not an if, God. He's not. And what God was looking for from Jacob at that point was just to say, Wow. That is amazing. God, you have a call on my life. You open my eyes to be able to see something that tremendous. And so, Lord, what do you want to do? How do I get involved in this traffic? How do I jump on those stairs? How do I get involved in what is taking place in the kingdom rather than just say, wow, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen? And say, well, God, if you'll do this and that for me, then I'll go on to serve you. And see, that's, again, that's not good. Not good at all. What God was after in Jacob was complete surrender, wasn't he? So he went on to plan B, which was the Laban zone. And God did some very deep things in him. Well, as I shared with you, he's, you know, he's on his way back. And he has another spiritual moment. Because he hears that Esau is coming and Jacob is full of fear because he knew or he remembers what happened between him 14 years ago. And now he's going to face his brother who he's thinking is, is going to wipe him out, he's going to destroy him. By this time, uh, Jacob has really, uh, uh, in 14 years, prospered. He's got two wives and children. He has massive amounts of livestock and they're all coming back. And he just thinks that... Um, Esau's going to wipe them all out. Probably not a, a, not a bad thing to assume in what he had done in his dishonesty. So what he does is he sends his family away and he, he takes another path. Not sure exactly why he did that when you reach it, other than to, he's thinking in terms of let my family be safe and let me take the whole 
brunt of the thing, which is, a, is an honorable thing to do, isn't it? But he spends a night in this place, and here comes one of those stories in the Bible that's just, I think it's been interpreted. I, I want to take a shot at this. He gets into this wrestling match with God. Now, at the time, he didn't know it was God. And it's just a curious story. He's just there, and he's falling asleep, and then a man comes in there, and Jacob feels threatened. I don't know, maybe his, height, his, his sense of defense is all heightened. There is this fear inside him, and he sees this man come in on the scene, and he just, he's just like, look, I'm going to attack him because he's coming to my camp unannounced. I don't know who it is. And so they get into this wrestling match. And they, the Bible tells us that they wrestled all night. Now, anyone here, can you imagine wrestling all night? Shoot, I can't even do it 30 seconds with my four-year-old. Much less doing it all night long. You know what I'm saying? I mean, good night. But there he is, and he's wrestling with God, no less. And God's not a wimp. I mean, obviously, God could have, you know, did a little, I don't even know what the wrestling moves are. Where's Jamie? He'd tell us all the wrestling moves. But anyway, do a little turnaround. I could have pinned Jacob right now, but he doesn't. Because there's something that's taking place here that is obviously very spiritual. And what I see is that 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 is that moment of choice for Jacob and that moment of choice for us. So let's look at this and let me take the full corner and let's apply it to our lives. You know, the first part of Jacob's life represents how the presence or the lack of character can hasten or hinder the will of God in our lives. In Jacob's life, it absolutely slowed his progress down to a miserable crawl. We need to look at Jacob's life, and we need to see here was a guy that did not lack for calling, did not lack for anointing and opportunity. Man, he is in the, he is in the, the, the anointing line. I mean, he is the grandson of Abraham. He's got the promises He's been prophesied ahead of time that he would be in, have favor over his brother. I mean, there it is. It's like, it's like reading through the Bible and all the promises that we have as Christians. And I'll tell you what, there are a ton, aren't there? Just an amazing amount of promises. And I hope you've been in your Bible. I hope you've been reading. And, and just digging through and finding those wonderful promises and just filling your heart up. I mean, Jacob, in the same way, did not lack for all of that. But what came to the surface was that deceptive part in him and that character issue that we as Christians, we've got to embrace. You know, Andrew and I were just talking about this the other day because we had, we had heard about a, a famous minister that really had a lot of an impact in our lives. And we had found out that there was a major character flaw in his life and, and that people were coming out after 30 years beginning to share some of the things that were just heartbreaking that were taking place. And, you know, we hear these stories from time to time, but what, what it shows me is that character counts, right? And we as Christians, we often want to chase after the fire. We often want, you know, things to just be, you know, hot now and, 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 and anointed and on fire, and we chase the fire only to find out, whoa, 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 there was a layer of, of character issue there that was really just not good. And so God wanted to work with Jacob, but he had to deal with that, that deceptive part of him, didn't he? And so if we want to fast forward our relationship with God, folks, we can't ignore 
We can't ignore that. You see, what I'm, what I'm finding now, and after coming out of this, man, I tell you what, my heart has just been turning over, and Andy remembers when I just started to kind of pontificate as I was just working this through my soul, is that God is interested in that perfect balance in our lives, spirit and in truth, spirit and in truth, that we have a spiritual relationship with God, that it's open and we're, we're attracted to the love and the mercy and the grace of God. And, you know, if you've been here in any time, I, I believe in the grace of God. And that is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves, not only for, uh, of salvation and the forgiveness of sins, but also the sanctif- sanctifying work of God in us, that he's making us like him. And, it's, and it, it, it's, he causes us to will and to do of his good pleasure. I believe in that. And that legalism and judgment and religiosity and churchianity and all that stuff just really clogs it up, man. We just need to, man, just all we need to be flower children for Jesus, man. You know, peace, love, and Jesus. That's the grace side of it. But you know what? you got to have that truth side too. You just really do. And Jesus said, that's what my Father's looking for, those who will worship in him in spirit, who understand the heart of God. But he said, you got to understand the will of God too, the words of God. And so to fast forward the work of God in our lives, we can't ignore that character area. We can't ignore that. And, and, and again, in a grace zone, okay, because see, you can go to the grace zone where, where you just stay put and you let God work it out. In other words, how could have Jacob's changed the situation? Don't try to steal. That would have start, been a good start. Don't try to rip your brother off because God's purposes and plans would have done what? They would have prevailed it would have come forward. It would have happened by the hand of God. But when we try to push and twist and maybe break the rules a little bit, when we try to get our way outside of character, we don't realize we may get what we want, but we take the long-term plan and we get in the Laban zone, the crucible of God, where he crushes down our innards to the smallest powderist, you know, the, mo- the, the smallest, you know, atomic level where God just can go through and find every, li- uh, that's scary stuff right there. But, you know, we often have to go there. But if we want to fast forward our relationship with God, folks, the best thing to do is just, just, is just to give up, is just to surrender to Jesus, to let him have those areas. And, and, and not try to push the will of God, not to, to push the cart but let God just reach out and say, it's time. Because God's timing is an amazing thing. Number two, the second part of Jacob's life was the realization that God's will always prevails, yes. And Jacob would eventually have to wrestle God to receive his blessing. Because see, in the rest of that story, what happens is they wrestle in the night and, and Jacob, you know, the, the whole thing's with ends when God reaches over and touches his hip, bing, and what happens is a tendon pulls away. And, oh gosh, I know what a tendon feels like, just like in my elbow or in any other place, but you can imagine in your hip how painful that must have been. And so the whole thing just comes to a screeching halt, but Jacob's just like holding on and just saying, look, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And it's, it's like this place that in Jacob's life is that he's gone through this crucible. He's gone through these 14 years. And I think he's finally what? He's gotten it. 
<laughs> He's finally realized, I'm getting ready to lose everything. My fa- Esau's going to come and wipe out my whole family. I got nothing. I'm all alone. It could all end right here. And he's wrestling with God. And he will not go, let go until you bless me, God. And there is this sense in that whole experience that Jacob finally realizes that he needs God. And he needs to surrender to God. Now, you can look at this whole wrestling thing, and I've looked at it two different ways. Most of my life, I've looked at this wrestling experience as almost iniquity, that Jacob is wrestling with God, and we should never wrestle with God. You understand what I'm saying here? Is that, that that whole experience kind of represents a Christian wrestling with God when we just need to give up early. But I, I'm looking at it differently now. I'm looking at it differently because God never rebukes Jacob for that. Hmm, what's going on? What I think now is that, folks, God wants us to wrestle him, not in a negative way, but he wants us to, to go after him. He wants us to pursue him and basically say, God, I'm not letting, follow me now, I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. That makes a little more sense, doesn't it? I mean, you you follow me there? That you get in this situation, the desperation in our lives, where we get to that place when there's certain things, you know, that are going on. And and you know, if, if life is working out perfectly for you right now, then you know, th- this may not make a lot of sense, or, or not yet anyway, but if, man, you're going through some battles and some internal struggles, or you've got some things ahead of you, and, and you realize what's going on, or you've got some inner fears, or, or whatever, then you know exactly what I'm talking about here, is that God will bring you to the end of yourself, but God is right there, and we just got to get a hold of him, <laughs> and we got to get a hold of him, we got to put him in a lockdown, and just say, God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And that really kind of, to me, connects to what Jesus was trying to share about the heart of God when he talked about prayer. And he said, you know, knock and keep on knocking. You almost get this kind of sense of don't let go. You know, the whole push, pray until something happens. Wrestling with God in a good way, you see? And so, I, I mean, it totally hit me differently, is that there, if we want to fast forward our relationship with God, if we want to get into greater levels of blessing and experience and breakthroughs in our life, then there has to be this desperation that just like Jacob there, you just hold on, man. You just hold on. And finally, God just reaches over and touches his hip. And the only thing I can, I can catch with that is that God said, look, I'm going to bless you, Jacob. I've been trying to bless you. All this time, Jacob, and here you are telling me and begging me to bless you, and the whole time I've been doing it. It's just you haven't been seeing it. And he gets this wonderful little gift of a limp. And, uh, and, you know, I haven't really talked about this limp since my sabbatical, but, you know, that was really what God was trying to do in me during that whole time. Let's just say, David, and God's speaking to me, he said, David, you've got to embrace your limp. When you try to do it in your own strength, when you try to do things, and you're trying to push the will of God, or you, you, you think you understand it all, the whole time, the, the only thing that, that what's going on is there, God is trying to reveal that limp inside us. And so getting a hold of that, not despise the limp, because what ended up happening over time is that limp stayed with Jacob the rest of his days. And it's a constant reminder to all his kids. Now catch this. Those, those 12 boys watching Jacob, you know, walking around, every little limp, they knew exactly what it represented. 
Now, of course, a lot of them didn't get it, did they? But it represented the purpose of God. It's going to be played out. And it's best that you surrender early. It's best you wait on him. It's best that you let God bring it forward because that is, that's the fast forward, people. And it seems so completely opposite, doesn't it? We feel like we need to be the ones who's pushing the purposes of God along. And the whole time God says, look, no, this is my purpose in you. You need to let me make it happen. Because a lot of times it's amazing how it will happen. It's just like, wait, 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 wait. Then boom, it happens and boom. It can happen overnight. It can, it, can, it can come into being because that's what God does. And we don't realize, but all that time, what God has been building, building, building. Andrea, what, what was it that Jim LaFoon said? You remember that he had tweeted, and we had talked about it at breakfast the other day, about not careful what you pray for. Yeah. Right. Basically, what, what he was saying is, look, be careful what you're praying for. Because if you get God's destiny for you, or you pursue his destiny, without God working out the character, without working out the different things that he's trying to do that will prepare for you, it, it can destroy you. And it almost did, Jacob. It almost did. And so, isn't that a, it, it, it's so kingdom? Every time, you've got to wait to hurry up. The, the kingdom of the upside down, right? That you've got to wait on God for something big to happen. But when we're talking about fast-forwarding a relationship, which is really what I'm after here, after today, is that, again, God wants to hasten his will in, his, in, in our lives. God wants us to get out of the Laban zone and get moving. Because some of us are still in that crucible place, which just being, you're being ground. You're being ground down. And, you know, if you don't see it, then you're going to stay in it. And my heart for you is to just say, look, <laughs> you know, sometimes you just got to get out. Sometimes you just got to get out from un- under that. Like Jacob finally realized, man, I'm being used. I'm being crushed. I got to get back to where? Bethel. I got to get back to Bethel. Because that's where God met with him. That first time, he's thinking, I got to get back there. I don't know how this is all going to work out, but I'm going to get back there. So he's walking with a limp may end up being our eventual condition. But again, it's a constant reminder to Jacob and his children that it's best to just surrender to the will of God. And that limp for us could be that area of character that we try to hide, that we try to hide, or, or just something about our soul structure that we try to bury, that we try to code over, but the whole time God says, no, you're gonna live with that. That's a little area of weakness in you. The Bible, in in the New Testament, they call it an infirmity. It's a limp. It could be in our soul. It could be in our physical body. It could be in a lot of different places in who we are. But we're not to despise it. In the end, it's a part of our testimony. And then finally, we will discover our future when we give up our present. And that goes right into what Jesus was trying to teach us. Your kingdom come, your will be done a surrendered life. Many of us are interested in our future. You know, millions if not billions of dollars are spent every day or maybe yearly, probably better, of of people trying to figure out their future. Whether it be 1-800 numbers calling, 
something like that or reading books or whatever it is, they, they, they would love to know about their future. And it's amazing how many people just, you know, we're just, it's a human nature to want to know. And if sometimes we're so caught up in the prophetic because we love to live out there, we love to live out there. But you know what I have found? It is best to just embrace your present. It's best to just say, what is God doing in me right now? Because when I win that battle today, when I focus on what God is trying to tell me now, it really does open the door to my future. Because if we don't embrace it now, then we get, we get lowered down into that crucible where we're going to be broken down. We're going to be crushed. And that was what Jesus said. He said, it's better for you to fall on Christ and be broken for then, for, rather than for him to fall on you and be crushed. And there's a decision in all that. And that is for me to fall, <laughs> for me to recognize it. Now, I love the part of the story. At the end of Jake, what Jacob does after he realizes that Esau is not such a bad guy. That Esau, after 14 years, it's just said, look, hey, things are behind us. Look at me, man, I've prospered. Now, if he had been, you know, <laughs> if he didn't have anything, it might have been a different story. But Esau, having been a grandson of Abraham too, was going to be blessed. He said, you and all your offspring. Esau had a blessing. In the end, of course, it didn't work out so well for him because the two brothers go on to constantly fight even to this day, right? So Esau doesn't, doesn't get mad and doesn't judge him. And in the end, what we see is that Jacob says, look, I can't go back to my tents. I can't go back to where I was. I've got to go back to Bethel. And I love that part of the story, and we miss it. It says he goes back and he realizes, I don't belong here. There's something else. There's something different that God wants to do to me. He goes back to the place where? Where he saw the ladder come and go. He goes back. And how many times in our lives do we do that? And I tell you what, if there's any advice that anyone could get today, that either be a prophetic or pastoral, it is, look, if you are finding yourself in the darkness today, go back to where you saw the light. Go back to where you knew it was clear. Go back to where you saw heaven and earth connected. And that's just what Jacob did. He finally realized, you know what? All of this had a purpose. I'm going back to Bethel. I'm going to where God is. And that's what we need to do, folks. If you want to fast forward your relationship with Jesus, you need to find your Bethel. You need to find your place where God is speaking to you. You need to let him deal with those, those, those inner issues. You need to give up now. Don't fight him. The life of Jacob is such a wonderful reminder to all of us that if we want to come into it, because see, there's no doubt that every one of us in this room have a destiny. We're all blessed. It's whether we're receiving it <laughs> in the pace or even if we're dipping, in, dipping into it today because you know what? It could be like that carrot that's always elusive. It's out there. You know, but if we'll just stop, surrender, give into the ways of God, and go to Bethel, man. Go to the place where God dwells, his presence, wherever that might be throughout your day and even right now. So let's all stand up this morning. Let's finish. Let's bow our heads. If I could have our prayer teams, please come. You know, last week we had an altar call, which was awesome. But we have an altar call every week. And that is 
that you come here. Come to the front and stand with someone to let them pray for you. If you, if you're, if you find yourself in a crucible today, if you find yourself in being crushed and you want out of that, you're, you're, ready to, you're ready to get to Bethel, then let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's come to him and pray. Lord, we love the stories in the Old Testament. Lord, and they're not just stories. Lord, they're prophetic snapshots. You did that on purpose so that generation after generation after generation would continue to learn and embrace the heart of God, to embrace the purposes of God. Those lessons, those principles. And so, Lord, we want to go straight to you right now. Our Bethel is you. It's not a place. It's you. So, Jesus, we thank you. Help us to now just fall upon you. Just see yourself doing that, falling into the arms of Jesus. Lord, we surrender. We yield to your purposes and plans. Where there are areas of character, Lord, not out of legalism or any... Lord, when you identify it, you, you completely propose to also heal it. So Holy Spirit, as you bring it to our mind, it is also your intention to remove it from our soul. So God, I thank you. Holy Spirit, come. Work in us. Heal us. Restore us. Let us break away from Laban and head right to Bethel today where we will find freedom, where we will find peace, and we'll enjoy the goodness of God in the land of the living until that day. In Jesus' name.